and hopefully, yeah, I think we're recording now. All right. It took my laptop 10 minutes to get this up. So like it took a while. So hopefully we're good now. So anyway, um, all right. We're in second Thessalonians chapter three, it's 18 verses. And the first five verses really kind of point back to the last chapter anyway, last or the, yeah, the last chapter. So, um, super practical, not that the other things haven't been practical, but I, I really see a lot of stuff here that applies to us today in a, in a very easy way. And I, you know, reading over it, I even see some things that maybe I hadn't really noticed that he says that are maybe not new information, but uh, specific ways to carry out the things that he's saying for the Christians to do. So I'm excited to talk about this stuff. Anything you feel like we should mention before we just jump in and start reading? No. All right. So uh, what's the best way you, you find to break this chapter up? Um, probably the first, like you said, the first five verses and, and refer to last chapter so we can remind ourselves. Yeah. But then go forward into like what you're saying, the more practical, which means like tangible things. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, I'll just go ahead and read the first five verses, and then we can uh, talk about that. And in that, I think we'll recap a little bit anyway. And then after we do that, we'll just finish up the chapter. So Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, I'll read the first five verses. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to steadfastness of Christ. So it's almost like he wraps. I mean, it's very clear like to me that this is kind of like a concluding thing, but it's not the conclusion of the letter. And it doesn't sound like his typical conclusion of the letter. So it's not like, you know, like with First Corinthians, it almost sounds like chapter 15 could end it, you know, but then he goes on, or sorry, Romans, Romans, you know, he like, it sounds like it kind of could have ended it, but then he goes on and talks about more stuff. It almost sounds like that here, except it's not his typical way of wrapping up a letter anyway. So it clearly to me is referring, the finally is what he just, you know, he's referring back to what he just said in the last yeah. chapter. Um, so what do you find helpful to like remember from the last chapter when we read the first five verses and see that he says things about like, um, you know, the, uh, may the word speed ahead or, you know, may the Lord uh, speed ahead with us with the word and things like that. And what do you find helpful to remember from the last chapter? Well, for, for the purpose of, of our study, it's helpful to remember that it was, it was like very theological. And, and I contrast that against the word practical. That doesn't mean it's not practical knowledge. It's just not practice. It's not something you practice. You don't, you don't practice the return of Jesus. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's theology. So, so he, you know, he talked about, you know, the conflict of good and bad. This man of lawlessness is going to be slain by Jesus when Jesus returns. And, and so that's very theological. Well, okay. You know, Paul, what do I do with that? Right. Well, he, he's trying to use that to give them confidence in, in chapter two that there's something for them to look forward to, right? But now he, he turns his attention here in, in this 
passage when he says, finally, he's like, you know, pray for us that all of this stuff that was accomplished there yeah. keeps getting accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed that he talks about the traditions in chapter three, but he talked about that in chapter two as well. And it was like the traditions you received from us, like one of the places in chapter two, verse 15. So then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And now in chapter three, it sounds like he just, as he and Timothy and others, as they keep going to other places, he wants the same thing to happen wherever he goes as happened in Thessalonica. And he wants to be with them. He wants to return to them and see them. Um, but he wants the same thing uh, as far as the delivering the truth and delivering the traditions that they need to keep practicing. Uh, not that there aren't differences in the towns or in their specific circumstances, but in general, the same things need to be practiced no matter where you live. And you, the same things as far as the truth and honoring God and looking for Christ's return, those, those are just, uh, they, they span no matter, they span no matter where you are in the world and they span time as well, it seems. So um, yeah. And, and the fact that he wants them to pray for himself and, uh, and others, but it's not just for them and their like, uh, I guess, safety. It's actually specific in verse one that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, right? So it's not like I pray that I will be received by people and I pray that they, you know, that I'm okay, that there's no problems with the ship on the way. I mean, I'm sure that might be part of the prayer, but he's very specific in what he wants them to pray for. He just wants for the word to be honored among the people that he's going to be working with as he keeps going around. And I think that's really impressive and good example for us as we think about working in our city and town, as we think about going other places, as we think about people we know in other places and the work they're doing, we, you know, we can pray for a lot of things, but maybe one thing we can add to our prayers is that the word of God is honored as it's, you know, being delivered uh, and being sped ahead <laughs> as it's speeding ahead, I guess is the way to say it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the safety, the safety aspect may come in in verse two, but even yeah. then verse two doesn't have to be interpreted as physical safety anyway. Um, That's true. Deliverance could just be deliverance from opposition, which would hinder the truth. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, deliverance from persecution or deliverance from danger or whatever. Um, right. But even then, like, it's not necessarily praying that, uh, there would be no opposition. It's just that we're no, delivered. It's rescue. It's rescue. There is going to be opposition. Just pray for rescue. And I'm, I'm assuming because we know Paul pretty well at this point from reading other epistles, but even seeing how he feels about these Christians and, you know, talk about himself and his relationship with them. He cares more about just the continue, the, the furtherance of the gospel than he does his own safety anyway. So it's not really about, um, I just pray that I'm okay, you know, in that these people that are going to be against me don't do too much damage to me. It's really just about right. uh, in, in spite of the opposition that the word is still being taught uh, and that it can further. I, I think that's a great example for us. What, what do you think about when he, this is one line he says at the end of verse two, for not all have faith. 
What do I think he, he's talking about? Yeah, like, do you think that's like, I don't know that that doesn't sound that doesn't sound encouraging for not all have faith. Well, no, it doesn't sound encouraging, but it but it's similar to a phrase I've heard used many times is you know not everybody you teach is going to believe. Right. In fact, if you if you take Jesus at his word, um, most people that you teach are not going to believe if if you're teaching a cross section yeah. of the population. Right. So. But, I think he's just saying, look, a lot of people we bump into and teach are not going to have faith. They're going to turn on us. They're going to be perverse and evil men, and we're going to yeah. need rescue. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that um, although that might not be the encouraging aspect of like, hey, you know, there's pray for us, pray that this happens and that we are delivered from wicked, evil men for not all, not all have faith. That's like the reason that they need prayer is deliverance because look, not all have faith. There's wicked and evil people that will oppose this. And then like the comfort he gives in verse three is not, but for not all have faith, but some will like, that's not what he says. He says for not all have faith, but God does like God is faithful. Right. Right. I know that's, that's just not, it's not how I would talk to you. If you were going to like go to South Africa, like you do sometimes or, Columbia or wherever, or even just if you're with your meetup studies, like I don't always say, Hey, it's going to be okay. Maybe not everybody listens, but some will. That's probably what I'll say. I I don't, I don't think I've ever thought of saying, Hey, you know what? It's okay. Not everybody's going to have faith. And even if you're, you know, opposed, it's okay because God is faithful. You have any thoughts on on that? I mean, that's, that's the truth that, that right i mean if you i guess what i'm what, I, what i'm saying is if you have confidence or you have comfort in something else you're gonna you're gonna be disappointed <laughs> yep yeah i think that's the point to get from this <clears throat> yeah what, what else do you think about uh three through five that really stands out i mean because really what he winds up saying is that our confidence is in the lord uh we that's he he is going to be the one that is the source of comfort and confidence uh, but he does have confidence as well that these Christians are doing and will do the things that they've received from Paul and others, the, the other apostles. So um, I guess he still has confidence in them, but it's, it's that they will just continue in the truth. But the greater confidence that is like the foundation of everything is confidence and trust in God. So yeah. you see anything else through verse five to, that really stands out? No, just at the end of verse five, again, he, he wants them to be steadfast. He doesn't want people yeah. to roll into town with some strange teaching and, yeah. and knock them off their faith, especially with regards to the return, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that's kind of all I saw. The, the biggest thing I, I uh, wanted to focus on that stood out to me was just the contrast of not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. So, um you know, we, we shouldn't be thinking of everything we do as what Paul is talking about here. But at the same time, like no matter what we are doing in service to the Lord or if it's teaching people, um, let's just keep, I think we just need to keep in mind that uh, the Lord is faithful. So, yeah. All right. Well, you want to go ahead and read. Uh, I guess we can just read the rest of it if we want to. And if you want to take yeah. uh, six through 12 and then i can finish it up 13 through 18 okay all right cool. 6 through 12 
Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. All right, so now he says in verse 6, he, he, I mean, I just think he, Paul uses kind of strong language here, and it's for a good reason. We command you in the name of our Lord Jesus to keep away from any brother that is being idle, that is walking in idle, idleness, and it is not walking the way that you, all, that you saw that we walked and, and, that you, and that we told you to walk. So, um. I guess it's not shocking that Paul is bold, but uh, it's also, I think, interesting that sometimes we don't want to accept that people like Paul and others taught not just a sense of morality, but like a very, very specific thing sometimes. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what you should be doing in your life and not just from like a you know, stop sleeping around, stop getting drunk kind of stuff. But like you're being busybodies and you're being lazy and it's very uncomfortable for us today, but maybe that shows a, a lack of uh, respect that we will have, that we would have for authority of, that is coming from God. And also like, we just don't like, we feel like people are meddling with our lives. Well, look, here's Paul saying, we command you in the name of Jesus to live a certain way and to not have anything to do with people that their brothers specifically, like people that are Christians, that are living a certain way. So, the, yeah, I, I find it. I think what I find interesting is, you know, if I was writing this letter, I would say, "Now I command you, brethren, that you make sure these unruly people stop being unruly." <laughs> yeah, and I command you, brethren, that you teach these people who are who are undisciplined, like, you know, you teach them discipline. Mm -hmm. Well, he doesn't say either one of those things anywhere. What he says is, if you see someone who's living this way, stay away from them. Now, we know in other places, like James, for example, we're supposed to rescue brethren who are in rebellion. Like, I'm not saying that we don't do that. Right. But Paul's concern here is to get the leaven out first. Like, Mm -hmm. Step number one 
is make a distinction now. Don't let the leavening influence start happening in the church. Yeah. Make a distinction first. And he doesn't say false teaching. He doesn't say, he says an undisciplined life. They're just unruly. They don't, they don't follow rules or like you said, they don't submit to authority. Um, I mean, so there's a couple of, there's a couple of different ways where it, it isn't what I would have written. And so it catches my attention. Yeah. Now, I guess he, in verse 12, he does seem to command those that are living this way. Like he does try to correct them, but you're right. He does start with uh, those that are, uh, I guess, right-minded about this. You know, they need to have nothing to do with people that are, have the wrong mind and the wrong, uh, they're living the wrong way. But he does say now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus. And it seems like he's saying, those that are walking in idleness in verse 11, verse 12, now those types of persons we command to do their work quietly and earn their living. But Oh, yeah. No, no, no. But Paul says we command, but he doesn't instruct the rest of the brethren to go right. in there yeah. and make sure. Now, you go make sure these people have straightened out their lives. But that's the hope from – I think that's the goal, right, from the saying – Yes. Has nothing to do with them, you know. Like we learn that we learn that from what he wrote to Corinth, I think. So, but that's a good point that like um, Paul isn't giving them step by step. Like, okay, step one is this, and then hopefully they'll turn around by just kind of like no. He just tells them like have nothing to do with this person. Um, right, and and the point you made is exactly where I was going, which is. That's how the that's how the Lord is accomplishing his goal rather than us trying to accomplish it, which is, you know, I'm going to go make sure you're disciplined and I'm going to do all, you know, all this. Now, I'm not again, I'm not saying we shouldn't help our brethren, but the instruction is for me, get away and make sure that they know why I'm getting away. I'm yeah. getting away because you've been commanded, verse 12, that you work in a quiet yeah. fashion, that you eat your own bread, yeah. right, that you stop being a busybody and you're not. So I'm, I'm getting away from you. Yeah. I can, I can tell you if it was up to me, this is how I would, I guess, approach people like that are doing this. They're, they're living in a wrong way and being lazy and they shouldn't be and all that being busybodies and all that. I would either want to hold their hand the whole way and walk them right back to like, and show them exactly what they need to be doing. Um, and again, I, there, there is a level of patience and, and assistance that some people will need, but in general, like that's just what I would, that's what is comfortable for me. Or the other thing is if I'm going to say have nothing to do with them, then I'm going to have nothing to do with them. And I'm not even thinking about, I'm not even hopeful they're coming back. Like I'm, I'm writing them off all, all, the, all together without even, I, I think I would be uncomfortable with accepting them back. And I know that's wrong, but for me, it's like either this or that. And it's not exactly what Paul says. So like, this is, this would be challenging for me to put into practice is what I'm saying. So. Yeah. No. And, and again, I think your, your intuition is right about like, okay, let's hold their hand. But I think that's like step three, right? <laughs> yeah. First step is, you know, get away. Yeah. Second step is they have to repent and say, okay, I don't want to live this unruly life. Third step is, all right, you know what? I'm here to hold your hand. Yeah. Let's, let's go do this thing. And 
sometimes we just go straight to step three and we say, all right, I'm going to go hold their hand. Well, they don't even want me to hold their hand. Right. So let me ask you this question. Um, have you heard people talk about this being a specific type of idleness, like idleness in the kingdom versus like idleness just in their like daily life and like working, like they're lazy in their service to God versus they're lazy and like working to make, you know, is that, have you heard people talk about that? No, never. Okay. I don't know who it was, but I think I've heard someone say that. And, you know, I, I guess just one, one of the things that popped in my head is like from the way he's saying, it seems pretty clear. Like the fact that he says, if someone isn't going to work, then they don't let them not eat in verse 10. Yeah. But maybe, maybe another way to think about it is like, if I'm being lazy in my service to the Lord, when it comes to like the kingdom and like, you know, my involvement with my uh, church family or am I, uh, how, how much I want to be involved in serving and teaching and all that kind of stuff, encouraging, whatever it might be, then like, I know that like, that's not acceptable. Um, maybe I want to separate it out and say, but you know what, like, it's okay for me to be a little bit lazy in this way, because like, it's not about the physical stuff anyway. So mm, I'm, you know right. what I'm saying, but here's the problem. Like if I'm being lazy in that way, I am being lazy in the kingdom. I'm actually putting a burden on my brethren and I'm being a distraction. And I think that in that way, if I want to try to act like that's not kingdom related, so it's okay. And I can be lazy and idle. I, I really am kind of missing uh, the connection. I'm trying to separate things in my life thinking they have nothing to do with each other. And that's just not how it works. Yeah. And I, it, it feels like that's what the Thessalonians were doing was separating things out maybe because he praises them so much for their yeah. spiritual, you know, life and everything. And then he's like, okay, but you've got some people who are just busybodies. Um, yeah. But if you, if you go back to Proverbs and Psalms and some of the wisdom literature, laziness is a moral, moral issue. Yeah. Um, even like laziness in work, just physical labor is a moral issue. Um, and I don't think that that's an old, a law thing because the Proverbs and Psalms are not part of the law. This is just wisdom. Yeah. Um, I also think that similar to 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5, when it talks about the physical came first and then the spiritual comes second, I think if you can't be disciplined in your physical life, you're not going to be disciplined in your spiritual life. It's just, yeah. if I can't be disciplined with what I see and what I touch, how am I going to be disciplined with things that exist on a different plane than my eyes, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think the principle does apply. Uh, I don't think he's teaching it here, but I think if someone is – leads a, a clean life, you know, a straight life, and they've got their act together, but they're spiritually undisciplined. I think this text perfectly applies to them. I would take this text to them and I say, you know, he's using an example here about physical work, but your problem is you are undisciplined yeah. in general, right, with your spiritual life. And here are some things, right? And so you need to take the discipline that you've got here in your work life, maybe yeah. and bring it up here and start applying that discipline up here. Um, I mean, that's the convert, what the conversation happens in my head anyway. Yeah. That's the, that's the hypothetical conversation that, you know, that you hope plays out correctly. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Well, let me ask you this question. Why do you think that they're actually struggling with this? I mean, do you have any uh, thoughts on that or do you see anything that he says here, why this is a problem for them? It, the, the only why is, is what I see is in verse seven is they're undisciplined and verse six unruly, mm-hmm. which when you put both of those together, it's, it means that the people are living in a way that is not controlled and it's not subject to rules. And I mean, the way it's been portrayed in, in, in classes and sermons in the past is that because the Thessalonians, some of the Thessalonians thought like, okay, either the return is imminent. Well, I don't need to work. I can just mooch off my brothers. Well, I don't really see that in this text. Maybe that's happening. I don't know. But it, the, the why is a character issue. They're, they're just, they're undisciplined. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it makes sense if that's why. Uh, like if, if their reason, not that they would even try to give this as a reason, but if this is a response to them truly believing Christ is coming back soon and I'm going to live like I know that's true, so I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> if that's true, like and that's their response, then I, I guess it makes sense. But I think you're right. The why doesn't matter. Um, look, I, I could, I could feel, I could feel just burnt out and I could feel like I, I just don't want to do anything. And maybe I can get by with that for a day. Like we have PTO for a reason. It's, it's my personal day, right? I can do what I want with that. Um, not what, whatever I want, you know, but, but yeah, according yeah. to my boss, like it doesn't matter. Well, you know, when it comes to my life here on this earth, I can see how worthless it is as far as the fact that it is going to be consumed one day. And I'm not living for the here I'm living for, you know, the fact Christ is coming. Um, But like my character still matters and the work that I do is still important, even if it's going to be burned up Um, because my character in how I am working and what I'm supplying to the to brothers and sisters, if nothing else, the fact that I'm not causing a burden on them, that matters. And I don't think we always can think about things in that way. Like the fact that Paul says, the way I read it is we could have taken money from you, but we didn't, we worked. Uh, and it would have been fine if we had, but we didn't. And we did that. And we didn't do it for a reason. It was to give you an example that, you're supposed to still kind of be living and making a living for yourself. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think exactly what you're saying is the works around us are going to be burned up, but the way that we uh, approached those works will, will endure that will last past. So did I work with diligence or was I lazy? That, that will persist beyond the time that these works are burned up. Yeah. And I, I think, Sometimes we, we, don't, we don't realize how much will persist. Yeah. Well, and if we're trying to like, you know, if we just want to go to Ecclesiastes and say, oh, but hang on, it doesn't matter, right? It's all vain. Okay, that's not the conversation he's having. He, he's not trying to get them to uh, come back from everything being about the physical. He's trying to help them understand that just because Christ is returning doesn't mean if that's the reason why, but you need to know he is coming back. You have this to hope for. 
And while you're waiting, eagerly waiting, still, still get to work and live the way you saw us live. So I, I think verse 11 is a little interesting. Uh, maybe it's just because, and this could just be an English thing, but where he says that um, we hear some walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Like they are busy. Their bodies are being busy, but they're not actually doing anything productive. They're actually, it's not that they're just standing in the way. They are a hindrance no. because they are busy bodies. Yep. So I like that yeah, play the, energy, the, yeah. the, the energy and the time that they're expending is working against the gospel rather than working for it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything for, uh, through verse 12 you wanted to point out that we didn't touch on? So what are your thoughts? So, okay. Well, you just said like, they're actually in the way of the gospel, right? As for you. So those that are handling this the right way, don't grow weary in doing good. I think I've used this verse so much and I've heard people use this and it's just, it is a principle, right? And, and this is even other places. I mean, that he says basically the same thing, but it's almost like don't grow weary in doing good because you have opposition. That's how we sometimes use it. But the way he use it, uses it here is like, don't grow weary in doing good among it when, when you're maybe wearied by your brethren even. And that, that can be viewed as opposition, but what he winds up saying is don't regard him as an enemy in verse 15. That's the interesting right. thing to me. They're getting in your way. They are kind of a hindrance in some ways, but don't regard them as an enemy and you just don't grow weary in doing good. That's so hard for me. <laughs> Cause yeah, because that, that's the biggest, that's a much bigger burden than opposition from those outside. Opposition from those outside is expected. It's like, you know, oil and water don't mix. Well, that's expected. But when, when oil and oil starts fighting, right? Yeah. Well, it's like, okay, you just want to throw your arms up and say, I give up. Even, even my allies are against me. This is just too much. Well, Paul's saying, no, it's not too much. Don't, don't grow weary. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, but warn him as a brother, right? So he does say in verse 14, you take note of that person. Like if they're not obeying what we are saying, this other, take note of them, have nothing to do with him. We want him to be ashamed, but don't regard him as an enemy. Maybe this is because I have just always been about sports and everything, or at least conditioned to think this way for the last 15 years or so. But look, at least for a certain amount of time, if you're not on my team, I'm not with you. And I want nothing to do with you. Now we're cool after the game is done. Maybe it depends on how, if you know, how you acted during the game or how I acted in the game, probably. But after that game, it's all good. Right. It's, it would be hard for me to, to still think of me as being in the game all the time and be okay with that person, even though it seems like we're kind of on different teams right now. Does that make sense at all? Like it, this would be a hard thing for me to like, to see it through the way that Paul is saying it, especially when I think of like a competition thing, that's not what he's talking about. Right. right. That's right. like the totally wrong way to approach what we are doing and how we are treating each other and interacting. So it takes a different approach and you kind of have to turn that side of your brain off to, 
to see it and to put this into practice the way that Paul says this, I think. Yeah, because you, you, what you have to do is you have to define enemy correctly and define brother correctly, right? Yeah. An enemy of a Christian is someone that you just stay away from. Right. I mean, completely away from. You're not trying to correct their life. You're not trying to correct their act. Now, I'm not saying you don't speak to them or preach to them, but I'm saying your life, you don't have an association with them as a, as a partner or as yeah. family, right? But isn't that what he's saying to do to the brothers as well? Well, exactly. But look at, look at the end of verse 15, admonish. How can you admonish if you have nothing to do with them? Yeah. How can you make him ashamed if you have nothing to do with him, right? Your enemy isn't ashamed because you pull yeah. away. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting the cold shoulder. Well, that that very rarely makes anyone feel ashamed. Yeah. Right. Well, so when, when he says don't associate or have nothing to do, with, he's not saying just like cut off and have 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 no uh, have no communication or no contact. Right. What he's saying is like whatever contact you have should be geared toward making that person ashamed of the position that they're in. Yeah, and maybe that's the thing that stands out to me is the purpose of the separation matters because it uh, it gives you, uh, I guess, a more structured and specific way of interacting with that person moving forward, right? Um, so I, I think I think that's a great point that you just brought up about the differences and how we treat how we treat and how we approach. Uh, the different people that we see, it's easy to see all of all these people as enemies, right? You go back to verse two, wicked and evil men. It's easy to put them in the same category as these brothers that it just feels like they're a burden and they're not living the way they need to in this specific way. They're being lazy and busy bodies and all that stuff. I mean, it's so easy to be like, all right, if you're not for me, you're against me kind of thing. And yeah. you're not for me right now. So whatever, get out of here as opposed to still considering them a brother or a sister, loving them, wanting them to feel ashamed to make a turn back to the Lord and, and warning them. So like your interactions with them are measured and they're purposeful as opposed to, I mean, I guess, you know, you can say the same about the you know, people that oppose the gospel as well. Your interactions are measured, but it's a, it just is a little, it's just different. It's a different purpose. Uh, there's way, yeah, exactly. And there's way more effort in my mind poured into the relationship with a rebellious brother than there is in a relationship with an enemy. The effort yeah. in the relationship with an enemy is just try not to harden their heart any more than it is. Like that's my goal. An enemy of uh, an enemy of mine, because I'm a Christian, my only goal with them is don't further harden their heart. Yeah. That, that's that's all I can do, right? But with a brother, man, it's like, okay, every I, I got to find some way to admonish. I need to cultivate a sense of shame within them without hardening their heart. I mean, it just seems like the effort would be uh, on a different scale. Now, that brother might completely cut me off, but we have to assume we're talking about a brother who's who's willing to engage in a conversation with you, right? Yeah, yeah probably should have said this earlier, like this doesn't mean that if someone is out of work, I mean, especially right now, like th this is a very <laughs> difficult time. Like, I guess we, I should have clarified, we should have clarified this. This doesn't mean, oh my goodness, what a burden you are, you know? Now I have to do what I'm supposed to do as a brother you know, and help you. That's not what he's saying. Yeah. Like, 
if, if it's someone being intentional, like it's one thing to be unwise, that person needs to be a little taught a little bit. It's another thing to intentionally be like, whatever, you know, whatever doesn't matter. And I'm glad I have you Richard. Cause like, you got to give me something right. <laughs> like that, that is yeah. vastly different from a lot of situations that Christians are in right now. We, we should be eagerly trying to help and serve and provide for each other and their need and each other's needs. But this is not what they were doing. They were unwilling to work. Exactly. That's exactly the, they were not willing. Yep. Yeah. Very different. And actually this paints a picture that is kind of inspiring. I think for us today, especially, but maybe just moving forward that our lives should be so connected with each other that um, if someone is being lazy, I feel the effects of it as opposed to just hating what they're doing (laughs) or not doing. I I feel the effects of it in my life, but also those that are struggling and they're willing and wanting and trying, and maybe they even are working, but they're still needing some help with things that our lives are connected to the point where, yeah, it's, it's not a burden on me. It's part of my responsibility to you. And it's out of love and it's out of my faith. And it's in keeping with the traditions that even Paul, Timothy and others showed while they worked with these Christians in this town. And our relationships need to be close enough that we can engender shame in each other. Yeah. If I, if I don't know you or care about you, there's no way you can make me feel shame. Yeah. Just, it just can't happen. If you're, if you're a face I see once a week and that's yeah. it. Well, th- th- you can't, you can't shame me. I mean, not, not, not in a deeply and not in a deep enough way to have a spiritual impact. Yeah. If, if I can just change the path that I exit the church building and that's the only level of shame, that's the, that's the only thing that shame, if that's like the only effect in my life that shame has on me. That's not, that's not really doing a lot. Right. Like I, I can do that for years. I can, I can go a different direction for years. I can sit on a different pew on the different side of the building. And if it's like, I'm ashamed because of blah, blah, blah. So I'm just going to do this. That's very minimal. Uh, so and that's a great point that you made. All right. Well, let's, uh, unless you have something through verse 15, let's wrap up uh, 16 through 18. Uh, I like the fact that Paul specifies that he is the, that God is the Lord of peace. And that he says, this is his prayer and hope that may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. I mean, so a few things stand out to me. First of all, Lord of peace himself, peace at all times and in every way. Um, and that's his hope for these people that are, I guess, surrounded by a lot of people that are Christians and they're believers and they're just being busybodies and they're not working. They're being idle. They're also surrounded by people that are whispering in their ear, in their ears, or maybe even shouting in, in public about uh, how Christ already came back or, Hey, you know what? He's not coming back, whatever, you know, and they they have all this opposition. They have these teachings that are kind of confusing maybe for some of them. And there's some of them are tend to be drawn away in some ways. And here's Paul just saying among all that stuff, the Lord of peace himself, like I want him to give you peace at all times and in every way. 
like the fact that that's even possible when everything else around you is in turmoil and you have this inner feud, I guess, going on because you have these feelings and emotions towards your brethren. You have these emotions towards these people that are saying false things. And then you can still have peace at all times and in every way from the Lord of peace. Yeah. So full, it's the fullest measure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's, it's kind it's kind of tough to, to think that's possible, but uh, that, that's, I think that's just because I think it's just because that's our short sightedness when we don't think it's possible or, you know, we're just, kind of unwilling to let the Lord of peace truly show, give that to us. Right. But if, if you entertain it, if you, if you can at least entertain the possibility that it's possible, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean experiencing the peace. I mean, just thinking about in the future, like, you know, he could give me peace in every way. Like that would, that would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, and and to think like and to think that that's not necessarily just tied to when my life here is over, right? That no, I, I mean I, now. Yeah, I've that now, right? At all time, yeah. like even now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you can entertain that, then I mean, and it kind of it blows your mind. Um, but that that's a huge step if you can even accept that that's possible. All right. Um, what do you think about verse seventeen, where he specifies that he's uh, greeting, writing, writing this greeting with his own hand. Yeah, it, it seems, it seems like if you read a bunch of his other letters and I think even Thessalonians that there were people writing letters yeah. and they may or may not have been specifically saying they were from Paul. Maybe they were hinting that they were apostolic or they were from Paul. But anyway, Paul, Paul says, look, this, this is me and this is the mark I put on my letters. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so again, verse two, uh, he says by, uh, I mean, not verse two, chapter two, verse 15, traditions by our spoken word or by our letter. Uh, so it's not just because these are the, these weren't the only letters that they were getting, I would imagine. Um, I would imagine that either other people were sending letters or other people were claiming to receive letters from some other person or, you know, claiming that it's from Paul himself. And yeah. What, what do you think about where he says that it's a sign of genuineness? It is the way I write, <laughs> right? Um, well, well I, I, I think it's, I think it really is literally referring to his signature. Signature. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, like, like this, this is how, this is what my, this is what my name looks like. But I, he could have been, he could have been talking about the tenor of the letter. Yeah. You know, I, but I, I, in the context, I just say, tend to think he's talking about the signature. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I will say that the tone of the letter is very Paul-like. But, you know, it wouldn't be hard to dupl- duplicate the tenor and the tone of his, of his writing. If you've, if you've received yeah. a couple letters from him or you've seen them, then it's like, okay, I think I can kind of duplicate this maybe. Uh, so he could be talking about that. But, I, think, I mean, I think it's cool just to think like, when he says I Paul, that that might be the sign, like his, like him writing his name a specific way. Right. It's, that's his sign. That's his signature, and it's it's authentic. It's real. I think that's what he's saying when he says the sign of genuineness. Like this is real. This is truly from me. 
Um, and I do this in every yep. letter, right? So I think that helps. Yeah, and I, it was second. Th yeah, it was Second Thessalonians two two is what I was thinking of that they were disturbed by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows what, uh, what are the letters were circulating during that time, right? Yeah. But I think that, that he, he says it at the end, again, it's, it, it is just to help them be at peace and it's, it's to help them, you know, I guess put more confidence and like, you can know that this is true. Right. I think maybe a lesson for us with that is that when we're thinking about how our life should be changing by the truth that Christ is returning and I should be living a certain way. I should be keeping away from certain people, all that kind of stuff. Um, how can I like, why, why am I putting a lot of confidence and stock in like, this is what I should be doing. Well, it's because of things I think that like what Paul says here at the end, like you can trust this. And I think it's, it's good. It's good to have that as a foundation. Like I believe this is truly from Paul. I believe this, these are truly the words of Jesus. I believe this is truly like from God, you know, whatever it is. And um, it like, why would I change my life if I didn't really believe it was, if it was real, you know? Yeah. If you're just adopting a lifestyle, it's not going to stick very long. You have to, you have to see this as adapting or molding yourself against objective truth. Yeah. And that, that's the only way it's, it's going to stick. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, it's been good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'll say a prayer for, uh, for the church here and uh, just, Maybe pray that, pray that God would uh, allow us to see maybe the areas where we're a little bit idle, but specifically like how can we be so intertwined with each other as brothers and sisters to where we would feel shame? Uh, I think that's a good lesson for us, and I appreciate you bringing that up. So I'll say a prayer for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up for, for today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to look at your word. Grateful that uh, Rich and I are able to dig in to Second Thessalonians like we've been able to. And I pray that the things that we've looked at, we've looked at fairly and honestly, and the things that we've said and, and just made our observations that they might be helpful for somebody and might just kind of spur them on to uh, look at things and see things for themselves. Uh, maybe they, people are even able to see things that, that we weren't able to, be, to point out or we, we didn't see. And it's just an opportunity for people to be encouraged and strengthened. And if there is some correction there, Lord, then I, I pray that that will happen as well. Uh, Lord, we, we want to be uh, founded on your truths. And we're grateful that we have people like Paul who made sure that uh, his letters that he wrote, uh, that they could be trusted and that the Christians that he wrote to would uh, truly be changed by the things he says and that they, would, that they continue to hope in the return of, of Jesus Christ, uh, just like we are hoping in, and that they would uh, get to work, not just working with their hands, but also working in your kingdom, and they would be so intertwined with each other in their lives, just like we want to be with people here in Atlanta, that we truly feel affected 
by people that don't take your work uh, seriously and aren't living out uh, the, the patterns and, and traditions that, that we see in your word. Lord, I pray that uh, we will have opportunities to share our lives with each other and that we will take advantage of those opportunities to the point where when we are wrong, that we will be corrected and that we will treat each other truly like brothers and that we will always strive for peace among our brothers and sisters. But most of all, Lord, that we will lean on you for comfort and confidence and peace because you are faithful and you are the Lord of peace. God, continue to be with us and help us during this difficult time. But God, we're always facing difficult times, whether it be from uh, the spiritual warfare that we're involved in or just the difficulties in life. And so we, we ask that you continue to be with us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we'll figure out what's next. And then uh, I think we'll, we'll put something out again for, for next week. But um, I'll go ahead and post this uh, tomorrow. Uh, it'll be Sunday, what is it, May 3rd tomorrow, right? We're already in May, and then uh, we'll figure out something else, and we'll just keep kind of rolling with something like this. It might be group. It might be just me. It might be just me and one or two other people. So, I mean, I appreciate it, man, and uh, have a good rest of your Saturday. All right. You too. All right. See you.